0: Let's open to the book of Colossians. Get back into our study here this morning. Smells like barbecue chips up here. (laughs) Wondering if that's making everyone hungry this morning. If you're hungry, let's just see your hand. If you're hungry, hand up. I knew it. Junior hires are constantly, constantly hungry. Um, Even though you eat like every... 36 minutes or whatever. You guys are always hungry. I bring in a basket of chips and you like a, you know, just flock of seagulls at the beach. You're just all over it. Uh, As a junior high pastor, I'm confident that I think I know what it would take to actually get you to be full. Just thinking about this, like what would it take to fill up a junior high kid so that you would say, that's it. I'm full. I'm not hungry. Anymore. This is what I would do. This is where I would start this day. Instead of normal donuts, we would begin our day with the two pounder glazed donut. It looks like this. Yeah. It's from a place called Round Rock Donuts. We'd have to go all the way to Round Rock, Texas to get it, but I think it would be worth it. That is a really, really big donut. And then for lunch, Uh, I have an idea. We'd have to leave really fast, but we would try this thing called the Ultimate Destroyer. And it's from a place called Papa Bob's. This is what it looks like. Let's get a look at that, bad boy. (laughs) Listen to this. This is a sandwich. It boasts of a foot-long hoagie bun with a half pound of pulled pork and then a half pound of hickory-smoked sliced pork. Yum. Then two slices of bread Uh, More hickory ham, layer of smoked turkey, truckload of beef, half a pound of fries, four pickles, four jalapenos, topping it all off. Awesome, right? I don't think, (laughs) I just don't think anybody should ever eat all that, but whatever. Uh, Tough to get there for lunch. It's all the way in Kansas City, but dinner, we would come back. We'd eat local, big mamas and papas, the 54-inch pizza pizza. You can cut this bad boy into 200 square slices. That thing will feed up to 50 guys, I think. That's what it claims. I'm confident, though, that those six guys could take it down. You could eat the whole thing. I could eat a quarter. A quarter of it. Really? All right, we'll do it Wednesday night. We'll see. This kid claims he can eat a quarter of it. I can eat the whole thing. A lot of pizza, Okay. If for some reason there was still room to spare, there's always room for jello, they say, but we would do better than that. We would end our challenge to get full in San Francisco eating this. It's called the kitchen sink. It's from a creamery in San Francisco. Listen, this bad boy has three sliced bananas, eight scoops of ice cream. You choose up to eight toppings, It's got more whipped cream than any human should ever have. And of course, it has a cherry on top, right? Listen to this. If you can actually finish it, the creamery will give you a year's worth of free ice cream. So it's like, you can eat ice cream. You just get more ice cream. I I I love it. (laughs) What do you think? Would that fill you up? Could you eat all that food? Well, I'm sure some of you guys would pick different things to eat uh, on our challenge. Some of you would pick like big salads or something healthier maybe. I agree, but in my time in junior high, I've learned some things. It's obviously not smart to eat like that, right? Can't really do that. It'd be a bad stomachache at the end of that day for sure. We have to be smart about what we eat, right? can't just fill up on junk all the time. We have to be careful that we're filling up on the right things. Not all of us know what to fill up on. It's good to have parents to help you know what to eat. Uh, They're there to help you with that, to make sure we're filling up on the right foods, even though it might frustrate you that mom's always like, hey, more veggies or get some of this salad or or whatever. But your parents have your physical well-being in mind. They don't let you eat the kitchen sink challenge because they know at 2 a.m. you're going to be hurting. (laughs) And they like to sleep through the night. They care about, you know, you not having diabetes at age 14 and all that stuff. Your mom does that. Not to torture you, but to make sure you're eating right, that you are taking in the right stuff, that you're filling up on the right food to make sure that you're growing right, that you're growing the way that you're supposed to and keeping you healthy. Filling up on the right foods is so important, important for your physical growth. And it's, it's just as important that we fill up on the right things for our spiritual growth. fill up on the right stuff. And our text this morning in Colossians is a prayer by the Apostle Paul. He's been praying. He prayed for the Colossians, and we see that his desire for them this morning, we'll see in verse 9, is that they be full, be filled on the right things, a, a proper spiritual diet, if you will. He wanted them to live worthy of the gospel that had saved them, that they could live in a way that was pleasing to the lord. So I wonder if you even know what things to fill up on to be spiritually healthy. What sort of things am I am I supposed to be like filling my life with so that I'm living in a way that's pleasing to the lord? Am I filling my life with the right things? Just like, you know, a, a physical illness or a lack of growth can be an indication of a bad diet it's really the same spiritually spiritual problems and trouble and a lack of spiritual growth is often an indication that we're just not filling up on the right things and if you're feeling like that that you're falling short of that you know requirement to live worthy of what the, the lord's done in the gospel maybe you need to check your diet are you filling up on the right things our big idea this morning From Colossians 1, 9 to 14 is this, I need to fill my life with the right things. I need to fill my life with the right things. In other words, Christians need and should want to live a life that pleases God. And if that's true, then we're just not going to eat spiritual junk food all day. We're going to fill our lives with the right fuel. Let's look at verse 9 and we'll read our text and See what Paul has for us this morning. Colossians 1 verse 9. For this reason also, Paul is still praying. Since the day we heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Since the day Paul heard about these Colossians coming to faith in Christ, he had been praying for them when he thought of them. He was praying for them, and he was praying in a way that we saw last week. He was so grateful and thankful for what God had done in their life. And now Paul's still praying, but he moves from this thanksgiving here in verse 9 to praying now about something really specific for them. He's praying for them in a way that Paul hoped that they would be praying for themselves. Things that he hoped that they should be praying for themselves. And these verses contain something that the Colossians need. These believers need this. It's something that isn't just specific for them, but all Christians. And what is that? Well, let's look at what Paul asks for. Verse 9, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul prays that they would be filled up, that they would be filled. That's the heart of Paul's prayer here for them. And this is an idea that Paul seems to really want to draw their attention to and we would be wise to to look at it as well. This idea of being filled, not only is it in verse 9, but verse 10 of chapter 1, live fully pleasing to God. And then verse 19, in Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 24, Paul writes, I'm rejoicing in my suffering for you. I'm, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ Verse 25, all this to make the word of God fully known. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul wants these believers to have full assurance. Chapter 2, verse 9, in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells. Chapter 2, verse 10, you've been filled in him. Chapter 4, he talks about being full in their assurance. Full and filled and filled and full. He just keeps coming back to this idea. He keeps saying and he's using different words like he's just trying to attack it from different sides. Why? Well, a lot of people think, and I believe it's true that this was part of the problem in this church. We talked about this a few weeks ago that this church in this little town that's really now kind of in the middle of nowhere is being attacked by these false teachers and that this is part of the problem. They're offering these Believers, these false teachers are, they're offering them like something else, something more, you know, telling them, we can give you more. We can offer this to you, this extra spiritual fullness. I think this false message was was really confusing these believers here, and it was convincing them that they needed to fill up on other things, something else, some other kind of false Truths, this, this lie about God and, and Jesus, and especially their assurance. The hope that they had of their salvation. They were filling up, in other words, on the wrong things. Things that weren't true. But Paul is going to just redirect them to the truth here. Junior Hires, it's so important that we fill ourselves on the right things. This, this is such an important message. Everything you need is, is in Christ. And we can break Paul's prayer, I believe, into three parts. We can learn what three things to make sure are part of our spiritual food. This is what every believer, no matter how long you've been saved, a day or years, this is what you should be filling your life with. How does a Christian live worthy of the Lord? Let's look at this first one. Number one, that they're filled with the right knowledge. You need to fill your life with the truth or the right knowledge. Not just knowledge of anything, but the right knowledge. Verse 9, Paul says, Be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, and all spiritual wisdom and understandings. This isn't just any old knowledge. This isn't do good in school, but the right knowledge. Knowledge about God and you know, so many Christians, whether young or old, they claim that they want to grow in their relationship with Christ, and yet so often they say and i just i 'm not sure where to start they don 't know where to begin. Young people begin right here, fill your life with the truth, fill it with knowledge of god 's will and paul isn 't talking about you know god 's individual plan for everybody he 's talking about thing we mentioned a few weeks ago, God's big plan of redemption, God's big plan of salvation. That's really what he's talking about here, this wisdom, this this understanding that he's talking about. Paul wants these believers to be confident in the gospel, what what Christ accomplished on the cross. He wants them to be confident in the truth of John 3.16, that they would know, that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to die for them. And whoever believes would have eternal life. He wants them to be confident in that truth. Confident in uh, 1 Timothy 1.15. That, that they would understand and know that it is a trustworthy statement. Christ did come into the world, but for one purpose. And it was to save sinners. That's a trustworthy statement. That's the kind of thing and truth and knowledge that that Paul says this is what we have to fill our life with every day. I know the truth about the gospel. I know the truth of of God's will for me. Can Can you say that? I know this truth. Can you say that about your life? I don't doubt this truth. This is truth that I know for sure, and it's truth that I own. You should be able to say Yes to that. I need to fill my mind with this. And Paul writes this in such a way that he's, he's saying it's God who has to do this. It's, it's God who has to fill you up with this truth. And we need to know that. It's God who makes this clear to, to me that, that only God can do this. Only God can shed light on your mind to believe what he says in Ephesians chapter 2. Only God can help you understand that you're dead in your sin, that there's no life, no heartbeat, no breath. You're dead in your sin, and you don't have the kind of power it takes to give you life. You're in trouble, but God does. And God does have that kind of power, and he can give you life, and he does if you've put your faith in him. Ephesians 2.5 says, even when you're dead in your sins, God can make us alive together with Christ. Could be saved by grace. So it's God who gives this understanding to us. Paul wants these believers to be filled with this knowledge, this phrase, filled with knowledge. It's interesting. It sort of takes us on a little journey, <laughs> like getting on a, a, a merry-go-round. Paul just wants us to see a few things before we move on. It's an interesting little phrase filled with knowledge. He's, he's really helping them understand that this knowledge of God's will to save them, it's the fullest knowledge. And I know that's maybe a little tricky to understand, so let me say it this way: There isn't anything else they need to know for salvation, and it's true for you too. There's nothing else you need to know. It's not step one of two. It's not a, a story with a sequel. This is it. Paul wants them to have the fullest knowledge of God's plan of salvation. It it involved Christ and the cross. The son of heaven came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He laid down his life for your sin. And if you trust in Jesus and choose to follow him as Lord, as the one in charge of your life and turn from your sin and leave it behind, you will be saved. And there's nothing else you need to know. Isn't that awesome? You don't need to know anything else. That's the fullest knowledge. This is what Paul wanted for these believers here in Colossae. And he, he wanted to help them understand too that they needed to be filled up in such a way that they were completely certain. That's kind of the other part of this, this phrase. It's certainty. It's confidence that they would be filled up so much that they would never doubt it. It's I'm trying to think of it like, like this way. It's like having really new shoes when you're playing basketball. Like You just have awesome traction. That's kind of what it is here. And the gospel has a way of doing that, of giving us like really sure footing. That's the way Paul talks about the gospel in Ephesians 6 when he talks about the armor of God, that the gospel's like shoes for our feet, like this kind of crazy hybrid of like cleats and sandals. But these shoes, what the gospel does, it just it gives our life the surest footing. We're really hard to to kind of knock off balance when we have the gospel owned like this. We're hard to, you know, it's difficult for us to slip or fall. It's harder for us to be defeated. We have the right grip, the right traction. That's what the gospel does for your life. I'm just, I know the truth. I know what's not true. I know what I need and what I don't. I just know where I need to be. I'm just harder to, to, Sway off this truth, off this path. You know the truth. That's the knowledge that we're to focus on. That's the knowledge that we're to fill our life with. We need God's word to lead us to salvation and give us this new life in him. And yet we also need his word to know how to live this new life. It's not just that we would own the gospel. That's where it starts, but we also need God's word to help us know how to live. Verse 10, Paul points out that we need this knowledge of God's will so that we can walk or live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walking is living. Christians are called to live consistent with who they are. They're to act. If you're a Christian, that's you. You're to behave and think and speak. And just live in a way that's consistent with what God's word calls you to. It's be just thinking about all of you. It's our hands and it's our minds and it's our will. It's our heart. It's everything. Living worthy of the Lord is not about living in a way that we earn salvation. Don't think that. That's not it at all. We can never earn it. Rather, it's a worthy life that reflects what God's done. Just the grace we've received in the gospel. Let me say it this way. It's learning about God and his expectation for my life and actually trying to do it. That's what it is. It's desiring to grow in your knowledge of God's word and actually trying to put it into practice. That's what this is, this, this living worthy of the Lord. Paul says it another way, just to make sure we don't miss it. Verse 10, we live pleasing to God in every way. We're to surrender our entire life to Christ. We don't just live like Christians when we come to exchange. We don't put on our Christian hat on Sunday and then the rest of the week, whatever. That's not it. It's, it's every way, total uh, obedience to Christ this really just shows us how badly we need to understand our Bible, how much we need to know God's word more and more in it. God, he tells us how to live and he shows us what our lives should look like. He tells us what our desires should be, what we should want and how we should want to live. Paul kind of unpacks those desires Next, and we'll kind of jump to point two there. So not only are we to fill our our lives with the right knowledge, but we're to fill our lives with the right desires. And there's four of them. How should a Christian live who's desiring to please God with their life? What should she do or, or what does he focus on? Well, first, it's this desire to bear fruit. That's not going to be on the overhead, so I encourage you to jot that down. Desire to bear fruit. Still in verse 10, because of what God's done, now believers are called to live a certain way. We should desire to be fruitful. Paul's going to give us so much detail of that in chapter 3, but for now, I just want us to think of it this way. We should live in a way that's obvious, that, that the gospel has given us a new life, that we've been transformed by what the gospel has done. So you can obey, sorry, you can bear fruit in the way that you obey your parents. You can bear fruit in the way that you do your homework. You can bear fruit when you tell the truth and when you try to do what's right. You can bear fruit when you live like someone who's been called to live, distanced from sin and separated from it and trying to leave it behind you. You can bear fruit that way. Someone who lives like sin is just no longer my master. Desire to bear fruit. A second desire is this desire to learn more. Keep increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul keeps pointing to the relationship between what we know and how we live. We just aren't going to live what we don't know. Psalm 119.9 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I love to share it with young people. How does a young person keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. How are we going to guard our life if we don't know God's word? How can we possibly do this when we don't know what God expects This desire, I've said it before this way, it it does start with discipline. It's hard to begin this being in the Bible frequently. It takes a certain self-discipline on my part to just get up or find that time during the day when I can be into it. But it's so helpful to know that that desire or that discipline will turn into a desire. If If I just stay at it, I just keep getting up and I keep getting in the word. That discipline turns to a desire. Pretty soon after a few weeks or a few months, now I want to. And you know what? Even with more time passing, that desire turns to a delight. I love to do it. It's such a joy to to be up or to find those moments during the day to, to be in the word. Discipline, to desire, to delight. These are the desires that we need. Desire to keep learning. How else does a Christian live? A third desire. Desire God's help. Verse 11. Paul says to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the attaining of all steadfastness or endurance and patience. Paul again reminds them that it's God who's the one who supplies power It's God who has what we need to to live this Christian life. We can't strengthen ourselves for the way that God calls us to live. We have to depend on God. And and, and notice how he's connecting. It's not man's knowledge. It's not what man has to say. It's not man's power or strength. We need God. It's, It's God's wisdom and God's power that we must rely on. When we trust God and desire to live the way he calls us to, we'll never lack the power to actually live that way. And Paul's praying that they would get this, that they would be strengthened in this, praying that they'll have this steadfastness or this endurance and this patience. Oh, it's an incredible too. It's, it's the same reason not only did the Colossians need it, but the same reason we need it. We have to depend on God every day for, for what we need, this endurance to endure trouble and trial and hardship that's, that comes with the Christian life. It's not an easy life. Think about the persecution that Jesus didn't say might come, but said will come. If you're truly living as my disciple, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. We need endurance to keep living like light in the midst of a dark generation, a dark world. We need patience, patience to remain calm and in control, to be nice to others around us, to be loving and gentle to them no matter what's going on. Trying to put myself in the situation here, it'd be really difficult, wouldn't it, if our youth group was suddenly divided by some other teaching? And this half was mad at this half for not getting it, and this half couldn't believe that this half was swayed by this teaching? We need patience, wouldn't we, to deal with each other? (laughs) Of course, we need patience just to deal with each other with all the normal things of life patience to live in a way, like Paul said in Philippians 2, to just not grumble and not complain, but live the way God called us to live, to be blameless and innocent and children of God in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation and we're to shine as lights among them. Young people, you need patience to do that. You need endurance to do that. These believers didn't need to just tough it out in their own strength And neither do we. We need to grow in our dependence on God. You can never be too young to start desiring that. To recognize, I don't have what it takes, and I need God's help every day. I almost said every day, but it's every day. Another desire, let's look at this fourth one. Fourth desire we should want to fill our lives with is a desire for a thankful attitude. Desire a thankful attitude. Verse 11 ends like this, and I I believe this is the best way to look at it. Joyously giving thanks to the Father, who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. No one should, or sorry, not only should we thank God, but to do it joyously, to thank him for what he has done. Done. This is to be a constant act of worship. So overwhelmed. This is to be my attitude frequently, just joyful and thankful for what God has done in my life at that point of salvation, but for also what He continues to do. Paul wants these believers to never forget to just be praising God for what he's done, to recognize his authority and his power and his might, to deliver us from death and bring us to life, but then to give us what we need to endure that life, to live that life, just to be so thankful. We are to just live with this attitude frequently on our mind and often in our hearts, just so joyful for what God has done. And in his kingdom, think about what we get to enjoy We get to enjoy God's provision, what he gives us every day, his protection. We get to benefit from all his promises, ultimately knowing that our eternity, our future is so secure, anticipating his return. So much of it's just to fill our lives with delight and peace and joy and our attitude, our heart needs to reflect that. We need to be filled with the right knowledge and the right desires. And really quick, number three, we need to be filled with the right assurance or you could write the word hope. We need to be filled with the right hope. The right hope, Paul's big sentence continues, thinking of the father's work to bring us into the kingdom. Paul reminds them what God has done, how he delivered them from the domain of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his son. The work of God to save us. It leads Paul to, and we'll see this next week, to talk about one of the most beautiful paragraphs about Jesus in the Bible. But, but here he is getting to it. How does God qualify anyone to be in the kingdom? It's only accomplished through Christ. Makes me think of Acts 4. There is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Believers are delivered from darkness and they're transferred into the kingdom of the, of the beloved son. And the love that God has for us, it's best seen at the cross. If you want to know how much God loves you, think of the cross. He sent his son to die for you there. And it's in this son, in Jesus, that we have redemption, that we have forgiveness and this is what we're to put our hope in and our trust in nothing else we don't need anything else this redemption that we have it's an ongoing thing and it can never end and it's permanent that's the way that Paul writes there it's just means there's nothing that can cancel it out there's nothing that can undo it it's like the sharpie markers we were Messing around with earlier. Permanent. It's, it's, it's way more permanent than that too. This is the assurance that these believers needed to fill their hearts with. This truth. This reality. They had been forgiven by what Christ did on the cross. They had redemption and forgiveness in one thing and one thing only. Jesus. That's it. It was Jesus junior hires, that's just still true today. You don't need anything else. You don't need any other teaching. You don't need to be confident in anything other than what Christ has done for you in the gospel. That is the right hope we are to fill our lives with. It's not about what I can do to also add to it. I don't ever need to fear that I could lose it. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the assurance that every believer needs to fill their life with. And you never have to doubt it. So much that I'm going to (laughs) skip. I love it. This is what a believer does. This is what a young Christian should fill their life with. Don't be distracted by anything else. Fill your life with the right truth, the right knowledge. Have these kinds of desires and fill your life with this hope. And if you'll do that, young people, I promise you will live a life worthy of the Lord. Father, thank you so much for our time this morning. helpful prayer by Paul. It teaches us so much. Thank you for for preserving it for us that we could learn from it and grow in our understanding of who you are and what you provide for us in the gospel. Father, I'm just going to pray that you would fill us up with the right things, that you would fill us with your truth. Some need to be filled in such a way that it would lead them to salvation. And Father, others, they just need to grow in their relationship with you. Help them to see that this is how to do it. God, we're grateful for what you've done in our lives, and we're greatly anticipating your return. I pray you'd help us to live pleasing to you this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.